Welcome to the first season of Murder and 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder and 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Adam Mays was born in September 1976 and was the youngest of six children. Their home was not a happy one. The children endured mental and physical abuse, and Adam liked to be in charge and controlled his parents and siblings. He later went on to marry Teresa and continued to be controlling, abusive, and violent. He held odd jobs while the couple lived with his parents in their mobile home in Guntown, Mississippi, a small city with a population of around 2,000. The one light in Adam's life was his older sister Pamela's marriage to Gary Bain. WMC Action News reported that Adam liked Gary, and when their marriage ended in divorce in 2002, after 20 years, he remained friends with Gary. When Gary later married Joanne, the men continued their friendship. The couple lived in Whiteville, Tennessee, a small town with a population of around 4,500. Joanne had an older son and daughter who no longer lived with her. The couple were raising three young daughters, Adrian, Alexandra, and Kalia, who were 14, 12, and 8. Although he lived 80 miles away, Adam enjoyed spending time with Gary, his wife, and the girls, and immersed himself into their family. It was as if they had become the family he wished he'd always had. Adam became a close family friend, and Gary trusted him, so much so that he gave him a key to their home. Adam was infatuated with the girls and spent time with them playing softball, hanging out, and posing for photos that were posted on social media. But over time, Adam's infatuation turned into an unhealthy obsession. He told his wife, Teresa, that he was the father of the two youngest girls, Alex and Kalia. ABC News reported that he even told a family friend and neighbor that he was their father. Teresa and Adam fought over his obsession. They had been together 11 years and Teresa couldn't have children, but she also knew that Adam wasn't their father. Adam fixated on 12-year-old Alex and claimed she was his new love and that they were going to be together. In early 2011, he came up with a plan to murder the Baines and their oldest daughter, then abduct the two younger daughters and raise them as his family. He shared his plan with Teresa. Now, you would think that she would have gone to the police, but nope. 
She claimed Adam threatened her and that she was afraid of him. In the spring of 2012, the Baines made plans to move back to Arizona, where Joanne and the girls had lived before. The girls had asthma, and they thought the drier climate would be better for their health, and planned the move for the end of the school year. Adam panicked. He couldn't lose Alex. The Jackson Star reported that he sold his Harley-Davidson to finance his kidnapping plan. On April 25th, Adam and Teresa planned to kidnap the girls while they waited for the bus. Adam didn't want the girls to see her and instructed her to hide in the back of their SUV under a blanket. She was back there for hours. It was hot and all she had to eat and drink was warm soda and pickles. But their plan was foiled when they arrived too late. They repeated their plan the next day. Teresa hiding in the back of the SUV under that hot blanket. Again, their plan was foiled when Gary beat them to it. Teresa had had enough and told Adam she wanted to quit. He responded by telling her that she knew too much and that he would kill her. That night when Gary got home from work, Adam was there waiting for him. He had bought ingredients to make tequila sunrises and went about making Gary and Joanne each a drink. But he added a few extra ingredients, such as eye drops and prescription drugs. Joanne had gone to bed earlier, so Gary drank both of them. But Adam's concoction didn't knock him out like he thought it would, and at midnight, Gary toddled off to bed. Adam was spending the night at the Baines' home on the premise of helping them pack for their move. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. They all felt safe around him. At some point, Adam had Teresa pick up Alex and Kalia and take them for a drive. Then Adam walked into the master bedroom and woke up Joanne, telling her that Kalia was sleepwalking and that she needed to go outside to their shop. Joanne walked out the door and into the shop. There, Adam pounced and struck her with a board. Then he placed a rope around her neck and strangled her. He returned to the house, walked into Adrian's bedroom, and smothered her to death. Joanne was 31, and Adrian only 14. Adam wrapped each of their bodies in a tarp and waited. Perhaps it was then that he got behind the wheel of Joanne's SUV and drove it to a road not far from the residence and abandoned it. On their drive around town in the darkness of night, Teresa told the girls that she was going to be their new mom and Adam was going to be their new dad. Kalia was crying and her big sister Alex tried to calm her down. When Teresa pulled back into the driveway, the bodies were placed in the back of the SUV. Adam slid in and with the girls in tow, Teresa drove from Whiteville, Tennessee, and crossed state lines back into Guntown, Mississippi. 
They returned to the mobile home the couple still shared with his parents. Adam told Teresa he had birthdates and social security numbers to change their identities. Teresa had borrowed a shovel from a friend, and she watched as Adam dug a shallow grave in the backyard. He rolled the two tarps into the hole and covered them with dirt. Each shovelful landed with a thud, until all there was was dirt and silence. The next morning when Teresa woke up, Adam was playing a video game. He seemed proud that he'd carried out his plan and boasted to her that he was smarter than most criminals and would take off to Mexico and never be caught. Meanwhile, when Gary awoke that morning, Joanne and the girls were gone. He usually woke up after Joanne had left to drive the girls to school, so he wasn't alarmed. But he became concerned when Joanne didn't answer her cell phone throughout the day. Then the girls didn't get off the school bus. At 8 p.m., he called the sheriff's office and reported his family missing. Investigators jumped into high gear searching for Joanne and the girls. She wasn't the type to just leave, yet no one knew where she could have gone or why. Two days later, sheriff's investigators interviewed Adam, and he admitted that he was the last one to see the family. But at this point, investigators had no reason to suspect him and let him leave. The next day, he changed his appearance and cut off his long hair. Joanne's abandoned vehicle had been found when investigators contacted Adam again to talk to him. He packed his bags and fled with Alex and Kalia, leaving Teresa behind. The investigation shifted when authorities found evidence that the girls had been with Adam at the mobile home. They no longer wondered if Joanne and the girls had left of their own free will. They now believed that they had been abducted by Adam. They issued a warrant for him for providing false information. Investigators interviewed Teresa, and she began to crack. On May 4th, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation issued an endangered child alert and asked for the public's help in locating the mother and three girls and that they may be with Adam. The next day, it had been eight days since their murders and abduction. The Mississippi Highway Patrol and authorities of Tennessee both issued an amber alert they stated that Adam was considered armed and extremely dangerous and described him as 6'3 with brown hair and blue eyes. Adrian was 5'4 with brown hair and brown eyes. Alex was 5 feet with brown hair and hazel eyes. And little Kalia was 4 feet tall with blonde hair and brown eyes. They warned the public that he may have cut his hair or cut and dyed the girl's hair in an attempt to disguise them. Later that day, investigators were outside behind Adam's mobile home when they discovered two badly decomposed bodies. 
Adam was charged with abducting Joanne and the girls. The FBI and U.S. Marshals offered a $50,000 reward for information leading to the victims and Adam's arrest. They also told the public that Adam had two aliases that he may be using, Paco Rodriguez and Christopher Zachary Wilde. It would take two days for the medical examiner to confirm the bodies were Joanne and Adrian. Adam was on the run. Authorities were sweeping the area around Guntown with canine units and SWAT teams while state troopers stopped vehicles and searched their trunks. The kidnapping had shaken the small town of Whiteville. On Tuesday evening, hundreds gathered to attend a prayer vigil at Boulevard Dixie Youth Park where Adrian and Alex played softball. Investigators interviewed Teresa again. This time, she confessed. The Daily News Journal reported that she told them that Adam had murdered Joanne and Adrian because he wanted to be with Alex, and she admitted to knowing about his plan for an entire year. Teresa was charged with especially aggravated kidnapping. The next day, both Teresa and Adam were charged with murder. Two weeks after they vanished, authorities received a tip. The SWAT team descended on an area in the woods near New Albany, Mississippi, 23 miles from Guntown. In an area popular with hunters, its terrain covered in hills and deep ravines, the dense forest was dotted with old wooden buildings and hunting stands that could have provided shelter. Near a red brick church with its white steeple pointed high and gravestones dotting the plots in the cemetery next door, officers searched two nearby logging roads. Just off one of them and deep into the woods, Mississippi Highway Patrol Master Sergeant Steve Crawford spotted the back of a little girl's head. She was face down in the dirt. Then he spotted the head of a second girl also face down. Then, inches away, he spotted Adam. The officer yelled out, Let's see your hands. Instead of raising his hands, Adam responded by pushing himself up onto his knees. Then he pulled a 9mm pistol from his waistband, raised it up, pointed it at his head, and pulled the trigger. Adam's body fell. Alex and Kalia sat up. Alex told her little sister, Now we can go home. The girls appeared to be unharmed and were put into an ambulance. When they arrived at the hospital, white sheets were strung up to protect them from the glare of media cameras as they were taken inside. The girls had gone without food and water for three days and were hungry, thirsty, and itchy from poison ivy, but other than that, they were not physically hurt. Adam was also taken to the hospital. He died two hours later. His body was taken to the state crime lab in nearby Jackson, but his family didn't want his remains, and the state 
wondered what to do with them. Then the University of Tennessee in Knoxville accepted the remains for its research department. Authorities confirmed that there was no evidence that Adam was the father of any of the children. His wife, Teresa, was charged with two counts of especially aggravated kidnapping and two counts of first-degree murder. And in a twist, his mother, Mary Mays, was charged with two counts of especially aggravated kidnapping. Authorities said that she knew about the abductions and did not report it. Neither Teresa or Mary could afford a lawyer, and public defenders were appointed to their cases. In August 2013, 16 months after decimating a family in a small rural town, Teresa pled guilty and was sentenced to 35 years in prison and is required to serve 100% of her sentence. Mary also pled guilty and was sentenced to 13 and a half years in prison. She too will have to serve 100% of her sentence. As of this writing, they are both incarcerated at the West Tennessee State Penitentiary in the Women's Therapeutic Residential Center. As of this writing, they are both incarcerated at the West Tennessee State Penitentiary in the Women's Therapeutic Residential Center. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with Less Talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Kevin Wagner. The Whitbys and Wagners in Tennessee started out as neighbors, but ended as sworn enemies. In less than three years, police received over 300 complaints. Tensions escalated until one of them ended up dead in a ditch. If you're dying to hear more, Past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.